Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I will be reading Neville Goddard's lecture titled Predestined Glory. And this is another one of his longer lectures, so I will be splitting it into two parts. So this is part one of two of Predestined Glory. Neville tells his audience, Tonight's subject is Predestined Glory. In the Epistle to the Hebrews, the author speaks of God as bringing many sons unto glory. Hebrews 2.10 What is bringing many sons unto glory? Well, if you read the scriptures carefully, you will see that glory and God are synonymous. I will make my glory to pass before you. Or, while my glory passes by, I will cover you with my hand. Exodus 33.22 And, when I pass by, I will remove my hand. Exodus 33.23 so here we find my glory is equal to I. My glory passes by. And when I pass by, what is he doing? He is bringing his sons to himself. He has chosen his sons, unnumbered sons, and yet there is a number to it. But it seems like an infinite number. And the word glory means to magnify, to make self many. So he is transforming us into himself actually one with God as God. That is the story, the great mystery of the Christian faith. He said, I consider the sufferings of the present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 8, Then he tells us that he calls us according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be, conformed to the image of the Son, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8.28-30 So here we have five terms. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. The Affirmation of Predestination and there is no way of interpreting these terms to avoid such a conclusion. You are predestined to be God. Now you may say, Well, now look at the things that I have done, the horrible things that I have done. It doesn't really matter. We have all done them, or we are doing them, or we will do them. But that does not interfere with God's predestined plan. There we have in five terms the structure of God's plan of giving himself to us, not as something that is great on the outside, but giving himself to us, so we actually become God. Now I know the priesthoods of the world scare us to death, trying to make us conform to their concept of what a man ought to be, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. May I tell you, fitness for the kingdom of heaven is a consequence not the condition of his glory. When he calls you, and he calls you individually, you could be the most unclean being in the world, judged by human standards. But God calls us according to his purpose. Now when he is ready, he'll take you into his body, for his body is the eternal temple, now made up of living stones, not dead stones, and only God knows that you are not fitted, but you are fitted by reason of his call. 
When he calls you, he incorporates you into his body, and that incorporation fits you for the kingdom of heaven. So fitness is the consequence, not the condition, of his glory. Now let me share with you my own experience of the call. It was this month back in 1929. I was then a dancer. I was 24 years of age, searching, searching for an experience of God. If anyone went into blind alleys looking, I did. I tried everything, trying to find him. No, I didn't try dope. I didn't smoke marijuana. No, I didn't go in for that. First of all, I couldn't afford liquor, and prohibition was on in those days, and I wasn't in the habit of drinking. I couldn't afford it, and there was no liquor around unless you went to some expensive speakeasy. Well, I couldn't afford it, but I was searching for God. I thought maybe a certain diet, like a strict vegetarian, maybe that would do it. I tried that. When I was 24, I went to sleep perfectly normal, as I do today, and during the night I was taken in spirit into the divine assembly. And I was taken into the presence of a recording angel. And here sat this heavenly being, a desk at a slant, with a huge ledger open before her, with a quill pen. She said nothing. I said nothing. I was simply taken in spirit. I had no control of the action. It was all automatic. I stood at her side, at her left side. She turned, and she looked me in the eye, turned her left face, and just looked at me. Then she turned back to the ledger and wrote something or checked something in that ledger. Then I was taken into the presence of the risen Lord, infinite love, man, yes, man. And here is the Ancient of Days, not an old man, but a man without beginning, without end, an eternal being, all love. All I can say of this one, he is the Ancient of Days, and he asked me to name the greatest thing in the world. And I replied with the words of Paul, automatically, as though I were prompted. I didn't stop for one second to think. I just simply automatically used the words of Paul, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. At that moment, he embraced me. At the moment of our embrace, our bodies fused, and I became one with the body of the Spirit of the risen Lord. Until you experience it, you will never know such infinite love. Just love, sheer love. And while I am embraced by infinite being, who is all love, a voice rang out, out of the blue, and it said, Down with the blue bloods. At that moment, I found myself in the presence of almighty power, man. Yes, it's a man, not the Ancient of Days. The face different now, and here is almighty power, but a man. And without using his vocal cords, without using his lips, I heard what he thought. He commanded me, without using words, by the use of lips, and I heard within me that which he thought, and he said to me, Time to act. And with that, I was simply propelled, catapulted out of that divine assembly back into this little body that was reclining on its bed. About four in the morning, in the month of July of 1929, 
From that moment on, things began to happen within me. I had no idea what it meant to act. But he said, time to act. And then within me, things began to unfold. <coughs> Excuse me. Everyone will be called. Everyone will be incorporated into this one body. For there is only one body, one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Each will be called in his own good order. No one can tell me that he feels himself fit for the kingdom of heaven. There is not one man in the world, by man I mean generic man, that thinks himself so good that he thinks he is worthy of it. No one can tell me honestly. He thinks himself worthy of it. So forget it. When someone tries to scare you into believing you've got to make an effort beyond the effort that you have made in order to qualify for the kingdom. For fitness is the consequence, not the condition, of his glory. When he fuses us, he has already made the choice at the beginning. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. Ephesians 1.4 Then, sending us into this world of horror, this is a world of horror, a world of death, and we pass through all the furnaces of experience in this world. And while we are in it, we are called. At the very moment of being called, the embrace purifies you. At that very moment. Now the body of flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So I was not in this body when I stood before his presence. I was in a spirit body, but I was conscious of being Neville. I was conscious of being all that as a man called Neville. I thought I had done. I wasn't proud of my 24 years on this earth. I had done many things of which I was ashamed, and yet, in spite of all the things I had done, in 24 years, he still called me. For at that moment in time, that one stone was necessary. He is rebuilding his temple. The temple has been shattered purposely, deliberately, and we are the fragmented parts of that temple. And the parts go through all the furnaces of experience in this world. And he knows exactly what stone he wants now, at this moment. And he calls that stone. It's a person. It's you. And he is calling you to glorify you. But he glorifies you with himself. So here are the five terms. Those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Romans eight twenty eight through 30 Justification is the divine acquittal. Whatever I did in all ages that passed between that moment when I fell with God, for he brought us all into one body, and one body fell and fragmented itself into the unnumbered races and nations in the world. Now he calls us one by one, and when you are called, though unfit, he justifies you, and justifying you is simply divine acquittal. You are acquitted of all the things that you have ever done. Then comes glorification, and glorification is the gift of himself to you. You become one with God. Because there aren't two gods, you are God, though you remain in the little garment of flesh for a while. You remain in this little garment of flesh, still weak, still limited, 
with all the limitations of the flesh, until that moment in time when he takes it off, when he takes it off for the last time, and you awake, then as God, without loss of identity. So let no one scare you that you are not fitted for the kingdom of heaven. That choice has already been made. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians one four, and you are sent out and told that you are going to suffer. Read it in the book of Genesis. You will go into a land, a strange land, and you will be enslaved there, enslaved for 400 years. Not 400 years as you and I measure time. This cross of flesh, indicating the physical body, is 400. For 400 is simply the numerical value of the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, whose symbol is that of a cross. It's the it's the tab, the 22nd letter. And this is the cross on which God is crucified. And you suffer while you wear the body of flesh and blood. We are enslaved by the body that we wear. No matter what you own in this world, if you own the whole vast world and all were your slaves, you cannot command one slave in your world to eat for you and assimilate for you. You have to eat assimilate and eliminate for yourself you are a slave of the body that you wear and you will wear it for 400 years until that moment in time when you are called now when you are called you are incorporated into the body of love from then on you taste of the powers of the age to come hebrews 6 7 or 6 5 i'm sorry revised standard version the powers are so fantastic Nothing known to mortal man compares with the power that is yours to be exercised after you are called. And then the body comes off for the last time. But you cannot exercise this power until you are first incorporated into the body of love. For if you had this power minus love, you could destroy the universe. Nothing in the world compares with this power. You could stop the whole vast world and make time stand still. Then, change the motivation of these slaves on earth, and make them do your will. And it would be the most horrible will in the world. But you wouldn't after you were incorporated into the body of love. Your every motive, then, is governed by love. So first comes the call. Predestined, yes. Foreknowledge, yes, before you are called. And he predestined. But now comes the break, and now he calls. And he calls us one by one to be incorporated into his own being, the one spirit. For he who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So in the end, you and I, without loss of identity, we are God himself. This is the glory of which I speak. This is the glory that was foretold in scripture, the greatest book in the world, and the most misunderstood book in the world. It is all about you. So we are told, and the Lord will rise upon you, and the Lord will be seen upon you, and his glory and his glory will be seen upon you. Isaiah sixty one and two, the Revised Standard Version. His glory is himself, and I am telling you from my own experience, we will be seen by others, and be identified by others as God Himself. And yet the friend of the one who sees you 
they will stand amazed, knowing you as their friend, and yet they cannot deny what they now see. They will see you as God himself, and there will be no uncertainty in their minds when they see you as God himself, a face raised to the nth degree of beauty and majesty, and character beyond the wildest dream of anything on earth. And yet you are God, and they will know it. The day you wear the actual body of love, anyone who sees that will see the most glorious sight in the world. But the glory of which the Bible speaks is God himself. For I will make my glory to pass by. When my glory passes by, I will cover you with my hand. Exodus 33:22. And then I pass by. So the eye is equal to my glory. Though you will not see my face, you will see my back when I pass by. Why? Because only the Son knows who the Father is. Luke 10, 22. So when Paul speaks of this revelation, he speaks of it in the text. That when it pleased God to reveal his Son in me, when he reveals his Son in me, he, re he reveals me as himself. Because no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Luke ten twenty two, And so no one has ever seen God, but the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known, for it takes the Son to reveal me. When God's Son stands before you and calls you Father, then you know who you are, and that Son is David. I will tell of the decree of the Lord, and he said unto me, Thou art my Son, today I have begotten thee. And the Lord is Jesus Christ himself. Let no one tell you otherwise. They will tell you, but don't believe them. Jesus Christ is God the Father, and David is the sum total of all the experiences that man has ever had in this world. Take all the generations of men and all the experiences and fuse them into a single state. The state personified comes out as God's son, and that is his anointed one called David. And David said, I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said unto me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. He stands before you, and from then on you know the eternal son, and the job, so far as you are concerned, is over. Now you will understand the words, Return unto me the glory that is mine, the glory that I had with thee before that the world was. Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. For I have accomplished the work thou gavest me to do. What work did he give me to do? What work did he give you to do? Well, in the world of Caesar, I have been a dancer. I've run an elevator for Macy's. I've filled bins for J.C. Penney. I did all kinds of things. And then in 1938, I started telling this story. And I haven't stopped since then. But before 1938, I had many jobs. But they are in unimportant. Does it really matter? The only thing that man has come to do and must accomplish is to fulfill the word of God. And don't be concerned you are going to fulfill it for the simple reason God fulfills it in you. He has completed it and he's buried in you. The whole thing is brought to a climax already. It's assured. You cannot fail. No one in eternity can fail because it is all it because it already has been brought to its climax and it's finished i have accomplished the work thou gavest me to do 
Now the one who made that proclamation is buried in us. He is a pattern man, buried in every man, and that pattern will unfold in man, and everyone will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is God the Father. There is no other God the Father. The day will come. You will know it. You will experience it. And what you know from experience, you know more thoroughly than you know anything else. I can tell you now that you will do it, and I trust you will believe me. I can't persuade you to the point of conviction, but when you have it, it doesn't matter what the whole vast world will say. The whole world could rise in opposition. It would make no difference to you, for the evidence has already been given to you. And so when it pleased God, Paul said, To reveal his Son in me, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Galatians 1.16 What man still in the consciousness of being a man of flesh and blood could in any way illuminate it for me? How could he analyze it for me? He would tell you maybe that you are suffering from some hallucination. But the great poet saw it so, saw it so clearly. Robert Browning in a poem called Saul. As you know, in scripture, Saul was demented. He was insane. He was the choice of man for a king. Israel said they wanted a king. And then the Lord said unto the prophet Samuel, Warn them as to the result of wanting a king that he will enslave them, that he will simply take from there or take from them their sons and their daughters and everything and their money to keep his kingdom going. But Israel wanted to be like other races and other nations, and she insisted on a king. So Israel selected Saul because of his outer appearance. He was tall and handsome and strong, so they got exactly what they wanted, a king. He was insane. He was rejected, and the Lord picked David in his place, and anointed David. And so from that moment on, the Spirit of God came mightily upon David, and never left him. For David was the choice of God, and Saul was the choice of man. Now this poem, called Saul, is based upon the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, where David is explaining to the demented king the meaning of Messiah and the coming of Messiah. And these are the words of the poet Browning. David stands before Saul, and David makes the statement, O Saul, it shall be a face like my face that receives thee, a man like to me. Thou shalt love and be loved by, for, thou shalt love and be loved by forever. A hand like this hand shall throw open the gates of new life to thee. See the Christ stand. They called Saul here. David stands before the demented king who does not recognize his own son. For you would have to be suffering from amnesia not to know your own son. So he stands before him and tells him a prophecy and declares, A face like my face shall receive thee. What is my face? Then he tells him, A man like to me, thou shalt love and be loved by forever. A hand like this hand shall throw open the gates of new life to thee. Now, said he, see the Christ stand. He was the anointed one. David was the one whom the Lord anointed. He said, that is he, rise and anoint him. For Samuel sixteen twelve, And from that moment on, the Spirit of God never left David. David is the sum total of all the generations of man. 
all their experiences fused into a single being and personified. And that is a resultant state of our experiences in this world of sin and death. So really, in the end, there is only God, and God is Jesus Christ. There is no other God. So let no one scare you. Your salvation has already been predestined. You are already redeemed because you have already been predestined. Predestined glory, and glory is nothing more than the magnifying, making self many. So each becomes the face of God, everyone knowing that he is God, and everyone knowing that the other, his brother, is God, and there is nothing but God. Okay, so there we go. That is part one of two of Neville Goddard's lecture titled Predestined Glory. Thank you again for joining me for today's episode. I will see you guys in the next one for part two of Predestined Glory. Have a wonderful day.